Let us pray. O oh Lord, show us your presence this morning. Move our hearts, our will, our minds. May we see you. May we hear the call, the calling forth of the royal people. May we see your gracious wisdom, your sovereign grace. And may we believe in you. May the words of our mouth, the words of my mouth, and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever shared good news with someone to discover that they did not find it to be good news? Well, you might expect, this is how I feel today as I unpack this, this parable of Christ. This is a parable that might upset you. It's good news, but it's cringeworthy good news. Yes, it's repulsive. It's offensive. It's offensive to our very nature. It's no coincidence that we hear of Jonah's anger in our Old Testament reading when we hear of this parable from Christ in our gospel reading. Here we see that the gospel is not just attractive. The gospel is also offensive. We imagine working for a guy like this. What an abuse of power. Such unethical treatment. How unfair. Why would anyone want to work for someone like that? Where is there good news in this? But the fundamental point of this parable is not to reduce this story to our predicament, but to raise us to the person and the place for which this story reveals. Yes, it reveals the king. It reveals the kingdom. It makes visible Christ and his kingdom. It's about revealing God's abundant truth and mercy. St. Chrysostom issues a warning that we should apply to our study in this parable. He says, It is not right to search curiously, word by word, into all things in a parable, but when we have learned the object for which it was composed, to reap this, and not to busy ourselves about anything further. So let us start with the main point. Let us grasp this main point. Not only will this help us to avoid great error, but it will help us to reap a humble heart. Not one that is offended, but one that is humble. You see, in this parable, we are given profound lessons about the nature of God. And yes, we're given a profound lesson about our nature, too. You see, this parable is about God freely, sovereignly, and graciously exercising his abundant mercy and truth and calling forth a royal people and calling forth a personal faith. You see, he not only calls forth a royal people, that's what we see is so good. That is what's so attractive. But he also calls forth a personal 
faith that is often offensive and humiliating, but it is good. So first we see the gracious calling of the people. The owner relentlessly searches for those who are ready to answer the call and receive his reward. We read that the owner went out not one time, but five times to hire laborers for his vineyard. In verses 3, 5, and 6, we are told that he went out early in the morning, and then he went out on the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and the eleventh hour to hire laborers. After telling his disciples about the difficulty of a rich man making it into the kingdom of heaven, Christ tells this parable, this parable of the workers in the vineyard. You see, he tells of how he tirelessly searches for those who will answer his call. A rich person has no need to ready his self for harvest time. His lack of need has prevented him from standing idle in the marketplace and waiting for work. The good news of the kingdom of heaven is for those impoverished souls. The good news of the kingdom of heaven is for those who are poor in spirit, those who long for grace and mercy. Yes, the time has come for the owner of the heavenly vineyard to seek out laborers to harvest his grapes. Here we discover the glorious calling of the kingdom of heaven, and it is good news. It is attractive. It is lovely to us. We should take note that the king of the kingdom is zealous to find those whom he may promise. He is relentless in searching for them. He is gracious in promising and rewarding them. We should also notice how this glorious calling of the kingdom of heaven is for a people, not an individual or even a few, but for those indefinite ones who are ready to answer the master's call. So I ask, have we heard the call? Are we laboring for the gracious owner of the vineyard? Are we longing to receive grace and mercy from the master? Israel was called early in the morning of the day. The Gentiles were called later in the day by the apostles. And others still have been called and are being called by those in God's church just in the past few hours and even now. Beloved, this is the day of salvation for which the kingdom of heaven has come. The king is calling those who long for grace and mercy, those who are humbly waiting, those who are ready to respond. Have we been called? Are we ready to respond to the master's call? Are our eyes fixed upon his abundant mercy and majesty? These are the questions that we must ask ourselves. We must search our hearts and find the answers to these questions. The owner of this vineyard relentlessly searches and finds available workers for whom he sends off to his vineyard with the promise to pay them whatever is right, he says. 
with this phrase, the doctrine of justification emerges. He promises to pay whatever is just, whatever is right. This would be bad news if it were apart from the gracious call, but it's not. The context for which we find this phrase of justification is within the context of the gracious calling forth of the people. These for whom he calls are not simply to be collected for service, but are to be rewarded for righteous promise. He is the one who has promised, who promises his labors. He promises to pay them whatever is right. We call this parable the parable of the laborers. But it should be called the parable of the owner's good choice. Or rather, the parable of the owner's gracious and righteous choice. This is what John Wesley called provenient grace. Grace before. But we also begin to hear this phrase of sovereign grace, right? Here we find the convergence of grace before and that grace that is controlling, that grace that is humbling, that grace that is sanctifying. Yes, our Lord calls the families of the earth into the family of his heavenly kingdom. He calls forth a royal priesthood. A royal people. He calls forth the visible church. You see, the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of the vineyard calling forth a people to promise. Second, we see the gracious wisdom of the owner. You see, the owner reveals that he is not only gracious, but sovereign and just. When evening came, we are told that he fulfilled his promise to the laborers and paid them their wage. In his wisdom, he chose to pay the first last and the last first. We are told that the owner of the vineyard paid everyone the exact same wage, aren't we? The people who had worked for an hour received a denarius. Those who had worked for three hours received a denarius. Those who had worked for six hours received a denarius. And those who had been there all day long received a denarius. How repugnant. How inhumane. How opposed to individual productivity. Is Christ advocating for a political and economic regime? Is he advocating for an equality of outcome economics? No. Christ is revealing that salvation is by grace alone. That's what he's revealing here. If we wish to hear Christ's call, then we must humbly hear it. If we wish to receive Christ's reward then we must humbly receive it. This is about sola gratia, salvation by grace alone. You see, all may not have the same place in heaven, but the Apostle Paul reveals that all will have the same title in Christ. 
We are equally forgiven before God. Equally washed in Christ's blood. Equally clothed in Christ's righteousness. Equally accepted by Christ. And will be equally found at his right hand on the last day. Without embracing this doctrine of salvation by grace alone, we cannot embrace the doctrine of justification by faith alone. You see, if our confidence is not in both God's provenient and sovereign grace, we will never take hold of the righteous promise, church. The Apostle Paul states in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, that the faith by which we are justified is the gracious gift of God. Beloved, because of God's gift of salvation, we can believe. He makes us to believe. We can believe and cling to the promises in Christ because He gives us the gift of salvation. See how gracious and wise the owner of the vineyard is? He makes the first last and the last first. So that we may enjoy the same title in Christ. He makes us not just a royal people, but he gives us a personal faith. We may be like Jonah and say, yes, I'm angry. I'm angry enough to die. But through God's sovereign grace, he is making us. A holy people. He is strengthening our faith. Helping us to take hold of the promise that he has for us. And this is my final point. We see the personal faith in those who humbly see the abundant majesty and mercy of the owner. Here we see the gracious humiliation of those who personally believe. You see how this parable reorients us from thinking worldly to thinking heavenly? Positions of honor or prestige in this life by no means have heavenly approval. We should be reminded of this. This is why the owner checks their pride and teaches them humility. We shall never receive his heavenly reward unless we receive it humbly. For if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. In verses 11 and 12, we read that those who had been there all day felt that their wage was unfair. These workers believed that if the latecomers received a denarius, then they should receive more. They were offended. They were angry. They were grumbling. Yes, like Jonah, they thought that it was unfair. They had served faithfully all day. But those people had served faithfully for only an hour. How many times do we find ourselves like that? Child of God, you may find yourself shaking your fist at God, saying, this is unfair. But child of God, know this. That is the sovereign grace of God. 
making you humble that you might receive his promise. You see, they had been there longer. I agree. They had been there longer. But they did not deserve to be there. Was it not the owner of the vineyard who had found them and called them and promised to pay them a denarius to work in his vineyard? Notice how the owner addresses these grumblers. He calls them friends. Notice how he reveals to them that he's not only gracious, but he is just. He tells them that he did no wrong in verse 13, that he fulfilled his end of the deal, which he made in verse 3. We may not agree with him, but that does not mean that he's unjust. He is both true and he is merciful. He fulfills his end of the deal. He sanctifies those for whom he calls. He is mercifully wise unto salvation. He is true and he is good news for us. Let us relish that. You may be going through difficult times. You may be complaining and grumbling may be frustrated that things have not gone the way that you wanted them to go. But child of God, this is good news for you. He is making you ready to receive his promise. You see, by calling them friends, he's signaling both that grace before and that grace that controls us to righteousness. He is showering them with his abundant mercy and truth because he is their friend. Even such seemingly unfair treatment is actually ensuring their salvation. Why? Because there's no greater love than for one who lays down his life for his friend. He is their beloved friend. He is your beloved friend, child of God. He calls you. He readies you. He rewards you. But how easy it is to become inflated with pride and to shake our fists at God. To say, this is not fair. But we are not the arbiters, are we? No, we are the recipients of the abundant majesty and mercy and truth of the Almighty God. We cannot pose as a judge and at the same time relish in the abundant mercy of the Lord. We cannot be grateful of God's surpassing grace and be complainers and critics. It was the late R.C. Sproul who said, if there is any sentiment that has no place in the Christian heart, it is the sentiment that God owes us something. The only title that we have is to our sin. Unless he mercifully and freely gives us the title of the kingdom of God. This is the mercy of God, beloved. He not only calls forth a royal people, he calls forth a personal faith that you can take hold of, that is yours unto righteousness. So he confronts our rising pride. He makes us humble, not because he's sadistic, but because he is merciful. 
He is readying us for the great reward. He makes the last first and the first last because he is the God of promise and mercy. So, beloved, be not discouraged when disciplined and convicted for your wrongdoing. Be not ashamed when you are found to be grumbling and complaining. Rather, fix your eyes on the abundant majesty and mercy of the Lord. If our eyes be fixed upon him, we will not only be called forth as a royal people, but as those who are personally and humbly believing in him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.